Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. So today's episode um, is, again, a different model for Emma and I. The reason we were so keen on having Felix on They Get It is because of how, uh, you know, they're taking on such an old antiquated industry like healthcare where everything is highly regulated and there hasn't been a lot of change in many, many years. And Felix is doing things very differently. So for those of you that don't know what Felix is, they are a patient-driven digital healthcare company empowering people to take control of their health and well-being. And so it's really cool. Um, Neither of the co-founders had medical or healthcare backgrounds, but they just as customers or consumers had, you know, exposure to this process and they thought that there was so much room for improvement. And so what they did is they come in and they built kind of a process or a platform that connects consumers with physicians and also with pharmacists so that your recurring prescriptions can come delivered at your door without a ton of friction like you might have experienced otherwise. And so I think what's really special about what Emma and her co-founder have built here is it's totally different. It's nothing that um, you know we've seen before in Canada. It's been replicated in other countries, but we were really missing that in the Canadian market. And obviously with things like COVID accelerating telehealth, um, they're in a, a pretty good position to really take advantage of you know what's been happening the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's super interesting what they've been able to accomplish. And you know, it just it kind of shows that like so much good entrepreneurship is just from seeing a problem and deciding you want to try to tackle it and solve that issue. And I think that's exactly what they've done. And they are the consumer. They, um, you know, they're fixing this for themselves as much as they're fixing it for the rest of Canada, really. So it's super cool. And I think, you know, for me having an operational background um, and Felix being such like a heavy operations lift from just figuring out all the logistics and the workflows and making sure it all runs smoothly for the consumers. Um, It was really interesting to kind of dive more into the operations side of a business because I think a lot of our conversations are more focused on, you know, whether it's like the funding or the scaling, but actually those like integral pieces to running the business. Um, It was super cool to be able to dive into that. And Emma is just such an expert in the space. She has so much cool experience. So there's so much good advice from her um, from that um, operational lens as well. Love it. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we've got Emma Stern with us, who is the COO and co-founder of Felix. Uh, Emma, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, we're excited to dive into everything. But I think to start off, um, it'd be great to just hear a little bit more in your words, uh, what Felix is and how it came to be. You know, when I look at it, it seems like it was born out of trying to solve a problem and making things simpler. But yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Felix is a end-to-end, well, Canada's first end-to-end digital healthcare platform. Uh, so we essentially allow Canadians to go online to our website and learn about the different therapeutic categories, as we call them, um, that we are servicing. Uh, And people often, you know, learn about different ways that they could treat um, an issue that they've been having. Uh, And then they go on, they go and do our online quiz, which is essentially our doctor visit. 
Um, and, you know, through that, they connect with a licensed Canadian doctor um, whom they can chat with. And if at the end of that that conversation um, and that interaction, there is a diagnosis made and a prescription written, then Felix will handle the delivery, the f- f- the filling and delivery of the, that prescription for the lifetime of the prescription, which is awesome for users because most of the prescriptions that are written on Felix are for a year. So someone would get, you know, an appropriate amount of refills for them to be, you know, using that medication for a full year. Um, and we have that delivered to your door at, at the cadence that you want. Uh, and everyone's able to control their prescription and chat with the doctor again at any point through their Felix portal. Uh, which is awesome. And we have a really, really great support team that helps people, you know, talk about their different uh, side effects, make any changes they need to, to their delivery or to their prescription itself with the doctor. So um, it's really an embedded place for people to, to address and take care of their uh, health issues. Um, And then at the end of that prescription's life, you know, when there's no more refills left, we facilitate a new doctor's visit um, and a new prescription. Oh, it's so interesting. And Kelsey and I were nerding out before we started the recording just because it's so cool that we get to talk to these companies that are really pushing the forefront of innovation in these antiquated industries. So it's so cool. And I have so many questions on the Felix stuff. But I think before we dive into that, I would love to hear a little bit more about your background. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, So I am a Toronto native. Um, I went to university actually out in Scotland. Um, but when I came back, I came back to uh, start working in finance in Toronto, and I was working in investment banking in the M&A team um, at a small Toronto-based uh, boutique investment bank, which was, you know, a really awesome experience, to be honest. And <laughs> that's generally not how people feel after their stint as an investment banker, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I really enjoyed it, and I was very lucky because it was a boutique team, and the principals there Took a, took a tremendous amount of interest in making sure that the juniors um, got exposed to every different facet of a deal and were able to actually contribute. Um, so I, I really enjoyed those years and I learned an incredible amount. I mean, there was their fair sh- our fair share of, you know, late night comps table updates, but all in all, yeah, it was oh, a yeah. fascinating experience. Uh, but I ended up leaving for a number of reasons and primarily because I was just extraordinarily interested in what was going on in tech in Toronto at the time. And I wanted to do a job that was less transactional, um, where I got to, you know, really be part of building something. And uh, that is what led me to 500px. So I actually interviewed at 500px for the um, financial analyst job. Uh, And Andy, the CEO himself, kind of did that interview. And halfway through the interview, he basically said, okay, you've got that, that financial analyst job, but I also want you to do this other job called the chief of staff um and i think he'd be great and please do that as well and obviously i I sounded cool to me in the room i didn't know anything about a chief of staff i had everything i thought i knew about it came from the west wing and so i i said okay great i'll do that and then went home and (laughs) googled furiously to try to find out what i had actually just yeah literally but um i yeah, I was like, cool. And the first like couple of Googles still kept me in like the, you know, the first few Google results were really about politics and I was getting very confused and nervous. <laughs> um, no but kidding. eventually, you know, I got my, got my hang of it. And uh, 
I was so lucky. I mean, I, I still, looking back on my career, I can't imagine, can't believe how lucky I was to get that role. Um, so uh, outside of doing, you know, the financial analyst work and all the FPA, FP&A for, for the business, I uh, had the opportunity to work directly with Andy on kind of everything and anything the business touched um, and to basically be his right-hand man when it came to, or right-hand woman when it came to, you know, all of his biggest strategic problems, daily annoyances, what was important to him. And it was a really cool um, kind of peek inside what, what what the experience of, you know, a CEO at a big um, tech company or big to medium-sized tech startup was. Um, and, you know, from products to marketing to, you know, hiring executives to culture and strategy to dealing with the board, a lot of that, like, I, I really got to be a part of all of that and work through it with him. And, and, and it was just an incredible experience. Um, and probably in hu a huge reason for where I am today and why I decided to go, go and do that myself. Um, so it wasn't till, you know, a chief of staff role generally tends to be about 18 months to two years. They're not kind of super long term. So when my time was up, I ended up taking over operations for all of it, 500px, um, which was great also. And it had a different experience, but but a wonderful one. And at the kind of around that time, we began a sales process for 500px. So Andy and I kind of spearheaded that effort, spearheaded that effort. Um, and it was super, super interesting for me to um, be back in M&A, but doing it from the from the client side, actually being being one of the transactors rather than just the agent. Um, I developed a lot of empathy for my past clients in, in investment banking. Um, I could really understand what, right. why they were so nervous about some things and why maybe they didn't have every single piece of data about their, their business at their fingertips at all times. Um, and uh, it was a really cool experience. And that was obviously a successful exit. Um, and uh, after which uh, Felix was born. So, so that kind of brings you right up there. No kidding. Okay, so I've got a few questions. When it comes to the chief of staff role and then moving into operations, were you at the time being like, okay, I am picking up on these new roles pretty quickly. I'm learning. I'm feeling capable. Did you know that entrepreneurship was in your future at that point? Um, it's funny. I didn't. I, I didn't really think of myself as like that kind of a person. No. Um, funnily enough, my husband is also an entrepreneur. He has, he has a business called Connected and it's a, it's a tech company in Toronto. Uh, and he started it about seven years ago. So he was already doing that at the time. And although I didn't really notice that this was something I was really loving, he definitely did. Um, and he was like, you're definitely going to do your own business after this. Um, I just, I didn't really notice. I, I'm quite focused on what's right in front of me. Um, and so I, I was really focused on on 500px and, and and not putting too much thought into what I'd be doing next, if, to be honest, at that point. But as soon as I as soon as the sale went through and we, we kind of left the business, you know, that, that it was quite at that point, it, it became very clear to me that I wanted to do something yeah. on my own. Exactly. It's so funny. It's like once the the pie expands, it's so hard to go back and take a very small piece of the pie again once you've seen the oh, full yeah. picture. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay, so when people come up to you and they ask you for career advice, how do you respond? What do you say like for someone that's just starting out and doesn't really know what they want to do? How should they go about approaching their career? I mean, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think it kind of depends on, on what the career is. Um, you know, with like if they're if we're talking about, you know, tech. Um, 
I think that uh, there, there, there are some answers. And then if you're, if we're talking about things like law or investment banking, I think it's kind of a different answer depending on what, what they're, what they're kind of going into. Um, we've been spending a lot of time with doctors obviously over the last few years, and that's a very different right. path as well. So, um, but, but for tech to limit it to kind of my scope, I think it's just so important to find, I mean, at values for me, what's been so important is to find amazing bosses when you're young. Um, and mm-hmm. so much of what I did was based on f- having found someone who I really found challenged me, thought that there was something in me worth nurturing um, and who who really allowed me to take on more and more and was invested in my success and in my growth. Um, it's so hard to find those people, I think. And and if you find someone like that, I think it, it, it's, a, it's the best way to, to start out. Um, outside of that, I think that uh, find a company that you really love and believe in their mission and what they're doing and um, take whatever job you can get there a little bit, if that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, starting in support is a, is a fantastic way to get into a, a tech business. Um, I think that you learn so much about the user and like the true pain points of the user, why the users use that product, um, and also how the business works in a, in a very technical way. Um, so I, so I really mm-hmm. supportive of people doing that. Some of like the most senior, interesting and capable people, you know, both at 500 px and now at Felix, um, started there. So, so I think that's always a good entry way into, into a business like that. Um, but I think just, you know, another thing I think is important, and I definitely did it, is to not be afraid to make a big change. Um, mm-hmm. One totally. can easily look at, especially with something like investment banking, one can look at it and say, well, I've done the four, four hardest years, like the real slog. That's just a waste if I leave now. Um, but I think I, I, I'm much happier for having left it and done what I did. And I think it, it is tough to kind of step away from all, all that you've built in, in one kind of lane. But um I think it's a great thing to do. Oh, I completely agree. This is really resonating with me. I, uh, when I started at Shopify, I started in sales and I didn't know much about sales. I didn't know if I was going to like it, but I knew this company was something really interesting and something I wanted to, um, you know, be able to get to experience. And once I realized I didn't like sales, um, obviously it was a more junior position than a chief of staff role, but I moved into a coordinator role reporting into leadership and Mm. it was the best thing I could have done for myself early in my career. I got to get exposure to how these big business decisions were made and how leadership's care, leadership carries themselves. And, oh, it just, it totally changed the trajectory of my career. And it was a really cool experience. So I agree. I think finding that way to get your foot in the door and get exposure to great leaders is, um, is huge. Absolutely. And so now when we think to building Felix, obviously you come in with all this operational background. And from what I can tell, Felix is, you know, a lot of its strength is having really good logistics and operations. So can you talk a little bit about what your role was like when you started to build Felix? Oh, wow. I mean, you know, my business partner, Kyle and I, we both had a tremendous amount of experience and and very different experience, which is, which is really wonderful because we didn't really overlap, but we kind of almost covered all the bases together. Um, But but we didn't have anything where near what we needed to know to start Felix when we first kind of had the idea because we're not doctors and we're not pharmacists. Mm-hmm. And so the first, you know, at least five months was dedicated entirely. Uh, the first five months of really the ideation process was dedicated entirely to 
finding a, an amazing medical director who who is still with us, Dr. Kelly Anderson. She's just phenomenal, and she has been working in tele, telemedicine in Canada as long as it's been allowed or, or a thing. And and she she was so crucial to to making Felix what it is today, um, as well as Tracy Phillips, who was our pharmacy advisor, who we brought on because. You know, there's a lot to know about the regulatory environment of pharmacy and what you can and can't do. Um, and then as well as that, uh, working really closely with lawyers to see if a model like the one we were proposing could even be done in Canada legally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was happening in the States, uh, but obviously they've got a completely different healthcare system. And, and mm-hmm. even provincially in Canada, there's wildly different regulatory policies. So it was, it was like a, a crash course in pharmacy and telemedicine law <laughs> and regula- regulations, yeah. Yeah. which is something we just didn't know. And I think that like my operational background and also my background in finance was probably the most crucial at that time because for the operations mm-hmm. point, it was really wrapping my head around a really, a really complex regulatory ecosystem. And then for the finance side, it was, you know, we, we, we needed to raise money pretty quickly. Um, so that was, that was a use, rather useful like tool set to have at that time. I was just going to clarify the timeline really quickly. Um, Kyle was documented saying that you guys incorporated in January 2019 and actually went to market in June of the same year, which is crazy to me. I don't know how you did so much in such a short amount of time, but maybe before even incorporating, what was the timeline like in you know trying to identify, okay, this is something we should pursue, getting the right people on board, getting the legal components validated? What, what did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So j- around June of 2018 is when he and I really got together and started working on this in a serious way, um, or trying to figure out whether or not it was possible. Um, and and so it wasn't until, you know, we didn't actually incorporate until 2019, but we were really trying to get those main building blocks in place because those building blocks were what were going to tell us whether or not it was, it was, it was feasible regulatory wise. So it wasn't until, you know, the end of that uh, end of 2018, where we decided, okay, this is totally possible, where we incorporated it and we raised our angel round in February. Um, so the people we'd been talking to for that angel round, kind of th- that those conversations started probably in Q4 of 2018. And then, yeah, we were kind of quickly developed the MVP, um, which we took to market right away in, in June of uh, 2019. Wow. Okay. Okay. This timeline is making sense. I'm getting a better picture <laughs> of it. Um and, you know, we love to see industry disruption that really makes things customer centric. Um, but I mean, as you kind of alluded to, there's probably a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, what resistance were you coming up with from the healthcare industry throughout this process of building Felix? I mean, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't even so much that it was resistance. It was just that it had never been done. So nobody mm-hmm. really knew if it was allowed or not. And kind of the regulators really regulate as they see things kind of so as they come uh so so there was no you know nobody saying we couldn't do it but anyone we asked whether we could or not said well I simply don't know if you can do it or not um but we had a great legal team who, oh who really gosh. got the answers which was phenomenal um but also there's a lot of different things that play so there's there's the college of physicians and surgeons um and they they are really in charge of what the doctors can do but then there's the pharmacy colleges that are in charge of what the pharmacists can do. And then, you know, there's Health Canada, which is in charge of what we can say in marketing and on our website. And, um, you know, those kind of, because there's so many different bodies, you know, who are 
regulating different pieces of our business. Um, that, that added complexity and all, sorry, and each of those colleges are unique in every province. So it's kind of, that's, you know, once you get a handle on what you can do in Ontario from each of those groups, then you move on to, you know, to BC and find out what you can do there. And it's not always the same. So it, it, it was a big undertaking, but we were super happy with the result. Um, and we think that, you know, like you said, we, we really came at this, Kyle and I came to this as patients. Um, and I think some people are, are surprised when they figure out that neither of us are, are a doctor. Um, hmm. But that's because we need to solve the need as a patient. Um, you know, I cannot even begin to explain to you the various hoops I've jumped through through my life, especially going to Scotland and moving in Toronto and everything, trying to make sure that I had an active birth control prescription and that it followed me where I went and I had the right amount of medication. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's all something that's always I found a challenge for getting to pick up refills for different medications as well it's something that we just both felt so profoundly to be a um a need from the patient side and Mm -hmm. it uh it evolved from there we we were the users um not not the not the doctors who can actually make it happen so so making sure that we quickly involved the medical side was just so crucial yeah. Oh my gosh. I think of what you're touching on right now is so special. It's you can recognize problems in any industry just being a consumer. And I, I think I've talked about this on air before, but there's a reason that the biggest disruption in automotive, for example, doesn't come from Ford. It comes from someone who's new to the industry, who has fresh eyes and fresh perspective. I think if the audience is looking for a takeaway here, it's that you don't need to be a doctor, physician, pharmacist, whatever. You just need to have the idea to be customer centric and to trust yourself to go figure out the rest. Um, so I think that's amazing. I, I'm curious a little bit more on the the building side of things. You guys accomplished a ton in a very short amount of time, and I don't want to downplay that at all. So maybe let's go back to the early days of Felix and building your core team of people that were going to get you to that next phase. How did you decide what roles were mission critical versus what roles might be able to wait a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that we were very lucky. We just, we just, we both had really great networks in Toronto because we had been lucky enough to have been, you know, in the ecosystem for long enough. And we were just very lucky to be able to convince some people who had, we had worked with in the past to, to, to come help us out, um, which was just what made all of the difference. So once we were able to get that, those pharmacy and and medical advisors in place, which was just the most core and most important, um, we then needed someone obviously to, to neither of us are technical. And so we actually ended, we had a great, um, engineering advisor who set us up with just a phenomenal external, like, uh, consulting, uh, contractor agency. And they were, they were awesome. And they built the MVP and, they were just just absolutely wonderful to work with. They had done a lot of work on sites that were P, like PHIPAA compliant. And so that's like the Personal mm-hmm. Health Information Protection Act. It's so important for Felix to be extremely secure because obviously being the custodian of healthcare information is is a whole different ballgame when it comes to cybersecurity. So we, um, we used a great agency there and we brought a, actually a, a great friend of mine who is a, um, he went to university with me and now he's actually subsequently left Felix to start a beer company and he's doing really wonderfully well. Al Wood, his company is Rally Beer and it's phenomenal. But um, he 
was just the best person I had ever met. We studied econometrics together. And I just remember he had, he was incredibly talented at taking really complex systems and then distilling them down and, and imposing organization and structure, um, which is not necessarily the skill that Kyle or I have. And so he joined the team really early on to help create a workflow for how a prescription is going to pass through to a pharmacy and when the refill is going to be needed, the days of use of the medication. I mean, it's just a whole world, a wholly, a wholly different world from anything you dealt with if you had never kind of worked in pharmacy before. So mm-hmm. um, he was he was crucial because we had to kind of mind map that out uh, before we started filling to make sure that people, you know, who signed up for Felix right away would get their medication on time. Um, and then outside of that, we brought on a awesome, just phenomenal customer support agent who is now like a senior manager with the business and operations. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's, she was absolutely tremendous, but we we really looked for athletes, I think at the beginning, rather than like people, specialists, people who were, we really hired just for judgment above all else. um, And then kind of got out of their way. Uh, People who really understood the user experience we were trying to achieve and why we felt, why they felt it was important. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, one of my great friends, Jeff Shin, who I had worked with at 500PX, came, he was about to start his own thing, and he had just left Well Simple, so he joined to help design the original site, and, you know, it was it was kind of a great group of people who we, all, we knew from various different parts of our lives who came together, and, uh, and we eventually then quickly got our first... Um, our, our first engineering hire, our, our head of engineering, Carson, joined, and, and that obviously just really was was crucial and really changed the the fabric of the organization as well. Hmm. Oh, it's so interesting, and I think it's a testament for, you know, the Toronto tech scene is actually pretty small, and when you build those Boys. connections, um, they're just so valuable. I can imagine once you want to go start your own thing, you know who to tap on the shoulder, you know the skill sets of different people yeah. um, within the space. So that's super interesting. Yeah, just just it's such a great feeling to be like, I know the best person at that, and then yeah. you got to call them and beg them to come help you for a couple, give us give you a couple of months of their lives, even if it's not something they want to do forever. But um. We were, we're so grateful that, that those people did do that. And it was really, it made all the difference. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Um, throughout this process, what was something that surprised you throughout this build? It's <sighs> a great question. I think probably um, we thought that we were going to have a really hard time convincing doctors that this is a good idea to do. Um, you know, have, we thought that it would be it would be very tough to get the medical community buy-in because for some reason we we had the we had it in our head that we because we were I, I don't want to say disrupting because we don't see it that way. We love the Canadian healthcare system, but we do feel fundamentally that it does not service everything that Canadians need from a healthcare perspective. We think it does an amazing job at keeping people alive and it's incredibly incredible. We're incredibly lucky to have, you know, universal free healthcare, but we do have a huge access problem. So many Canadians don't have a GP and so many mm. Canadians don't have access to to timely healthcare. And so, you know, they're spending all of their time in a walk-in clinic or they're just kind of sucking it up and not dealing with these less important issues. Um so we we wanted to create a home online for these these issues, things like adult acne or, you know, when you're starting to lose your hair as a guy and it's not, you don't really know if it's something you should do anything about or, you know, mm-hmm. 
getting allergy medicine, this prescription, rather than spending spending hundreds of dollars on on Claritin every week. So, you know, getting to getting to that point was we saw so clearly that the, that the healthcare industry in Canada needed to be supplemented, but we weren't we didn't think the doctors would necessarily feel the same way. And what was so shocking was that it was the exact opposite. There was no one who was more enthusiastic than the doctors. Wow. I mean, they they were so thrilled because it also helps them tremendously because they all have, you know, their own regular practices. They all work in ERs and hospitals or they have their own, you know, practices. Most of them are GPs. Um, but they're so sick of having people come in just to get a new refill for their birth control mm-hmm. when that, when that, you know, 30 minute time slot should could so much more be used for someone who really needs to be seen on purpose and uh, sorry, in person, not on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. So creating a space for these issues that do not require in-person healthcare is, is something they believe in like, in sorry, excuse me, in a really serious way and, yeah. and it helps them and it's easier for them. And it just, it just makes more sense to them. So that was a, that was a big surprise for us. We were, we had spent a lot of time and effort thinking about strategies of how to attract doctors. And the second we found Kelly, our amazing medical director, she's like, okay, I've got 12 friends who want to do it. And then like, oh you know, gosh. it just grew from there and we've had a waiting list. Ever since. It's been really wonderful to see. That's amazing. The other thing is you had no problem getting venture capital. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. I'm sure it was a lot of work behind the scenes, but you have raised from a bunch of different VCs. And I think that's a huge testament to, yeah, you were able to get physicians on board. You also had a ton of people that bought into the model and bought into the vision. Can you share a little bit about how you guys make your money in all of this? Yeah. I mean, our, our business model differs slightly from, you know, some of the other telemedicine players um, because we are part of the pharmacy piece. Um, so because it's a reoccurring relationship and because yep. we we are, are delivering the medication, we have more long term or our LTV is longer in that sense. Um, so so that that's something that they really resonated with, you know, the, the, the investors but also, yeah. I think even more so than that, even more than like the nuts and bolts of the business model, um, which, which is a strong one, they really resonated with this concept that taking, for the first time, going direct, direct to Canadians with healthcare and giving them the choice. Like in Canada, you're not able to choose what doctor you go see. Like that, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. You can't like, you know, choose which medication you want. Right. Uh, uh, even though sometimes they're, they're the exact same medic- molecule, you're not even given the choice if you want to have a generic or branded version unless right. you know to ask at, at the pharmacy. And you're not able to say, look at all the different you know, birth control, like hormonal birth control options available to you and decide what's best for you by learning about the differences of each of them. It's really opaque. Um, and so I think what it just res- has resonated with, with with the investors since day one is giving Canadian empowering Canadians to, to take control of their healthcare and and to make that call and to make that decision. Um, and I think that that is what makes our users love Felix so much. And I think that's also what makes you know anybody. I, I mean, everyone's a patient. That's the thing. Every single Canadian yeah. has been through the Canadian healthcare system. They've struggled with it. They've benefited from it. They've they know what it's like. And it's the one thing you don't have to explain to people is how frustrating it is to forget to pick up a refill on time or how oh frustrating gosh. it is to sit in a walk-in clinic just for something as silly as getting a refill for your like tube of acne medication, but oh. you go on a date the next day and you got it, you got to get it. Or you, know, you don't need to tell someone that 
or you don't need to tell someone how 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 amazingly good news it is that there's they've been struggling with you know herpes or or cold sores their entire life but actually there's like a extraordinarily effective you know prescription treatment for that and people just don't know um mm-hmm. so i think because everyone is a patient and all of our investors were sort of canadian they just they just got it right away no kidding. No kidding. Yeah, they would have to love your TAM or your total addressable market because, yeah, the yeah. customer base is huge. And the other thing I really like is end-to-end. And I know investors are huge on end-to-end because your margins tend to be a bit better. But I think more importantly, you control the entire customer experience. And with so many totally. options um, coming out, not just in healthcare, but I think in general, um, consumers are more savvy. They want to go with the people, even if they're a bit more expensive, who give the best experience and the least amount of headache. And when you own almost every touch point under your umbrella, you can make sure that that experience is a delight time over time. Can you think back to any experiences or learnings along the way when you're like, ooh, I think we can actually improve that customer experience? So much. And there were so many eye openers for us because I obviously we didn't have a really we knew that it didn't feel great um you know the traditional system of, of, of workflow of how you'd go go about procuring a prescription for something like this and then going to the pharmacy closest to your doctor and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but it wasn't until we actually dug into how these things actually work that we were like pretty shocked I mean the whole system is based on faxes so <laughs> that's just a thing um but, you know, probably one of the things that that is where we add so much value is that moment when you go in, when you really need your prescription, like let's use birth, birth control, for example, you need to pick, you need to start taking your next pack that day and you go in and you were told by the pharmacist that you don't have any refills left. And that is a horrible right. moment because then you realize either you're missing a month or you need to find a prescription fast so you're calling your doctor trying to get them to fax in a prescription but they're not answering the phone and you know the time the talk clock is ticking because you're supposed to be taking it today and it's just a horrible friction moment and you know pharmacists when we talk to the pharmacists we work with they they say the same thing they're like oh yeah it's horrible for us too believe me because the customers just come in ready to make a purchase and i'm telling them that they can't do that because they don't have a refill um so that is one of the places where we have had a tremendous amount of, we've put a, a tremendous amount of work. And that's why Felix, you know, we tell you months before you need to get a new prescription, that it's time for you to check in with the doctor again, get a new prescription. And we make sure that happens seamlessly for you. And we also make sure that you're liking what you're using because most doctors don't tend to do that. They don't, or some great doctors do, but if they're being called in to fax in a new prescription, you're not have, being able to have that that conversation about how that medication is actually going for you so far. Um, and side effects can make a huge difference, especially with something like birth control. And there's so many different options with birth control that kind of achieve the same thing. But um, people don't really realize how many options they have and what the differences between them are. And so that's the other thing that I think we do a phenomenal job of, which is letting people, you know, if they've gone to prescription for, say, you know, a certain birth control and, and they're not liking certain side effects, they can go onto their Felix platform, talk to the doctor and, and have that changed. And because far, we our pharmacy is connected to our doctors, they don't have, the person doesn't have to run around and try to try to solve that problem themselves. We handle all of the back end. We make that change for them like seamlessly. And um, I think that's a big change for, for from what people are used to dealing with. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's such a shift. And I can imagine 
your user base is really appreciative. And it sounds like also, you know, medical professionals within the industry as well. So that's awesome. Um, I have an operational background as well. So I want to dig into the operations piece just a little bit more. Um, What do you think every founder should think about when building out the operations side of a business? I mean, for me, that's a great question. And I mean, it's just, it's so wildly different based on what you're, what kind of operations you're, you're running. I mean, we're a very mm-hmm. operations heavy business. Um, but I'd say, you know, for me, it's be, being really thoughtful about the sequencing of what you need when, what can be outsourced and when it needs to be brought in house. Um, and sometimes it's, at least in my experience, I've found that what, I, what would initially seem to be the most important thing to have right away is actually something that can be outsourced for years and years. Um, so I'll give you an example. Like I think customer support, getting awesome customer support in place is going to be the biggest kind of biggest game changer for your business and your users. It's just so crucial and it completely changes someone's experience with, with a platform like ours, especially a direct to, any direct to consumer platform. Um, so I really think it's important to invest heavily in that upfront, get a great, you know, technology in place like Zendesk or, uh, or, or something like that. And um, I think that's a good place to invest right off the bat. And I think it's important for whoever's leading operations to, to get involved in that at the beginning as well. So that they really understand that how their product is performing in the market and how users are, are where users pay points are and what's working, what's not. Um, the opposite being bookkeeping. You know, I've kept, even though I come from a finance background, we've used a phenomenal external bookkeeping company for, for ages. And I mean, we I actually brought them into 500px as well because they're just amazing and they, you know, they, they, they make our life so much easier. So they handle our payroll, they handle our, our, you know, our benefits administration, like everything like that. And that allows us to focus on things that we think matter more like support. So I think not feeling like you have to do everything internally, um, but recognizing that there are things that need to be done internally, I guess. Um, wow. So so really be, being, custom, being customer-centric, stuff that touches your customers, you need to make sure that you have in, in, in-house and that you personally are, are, are close to and touching. Um, things that are, are, you know, not, I'd say you can, you can generally outsource for some time. Wow. I think that's such good advice. And I also think there's a bit of a nuance here. We've had some guests come on and they're like, look, know your numbers, no bookkeeping um, for as long as you can. And if you look at why they're saying that, it's because they're smaller companies, they're bootstrapped. And I think your advice is so just well thought out for the companies who have raised capital. And if you've got some money to spend, you've earned the right to focus on your strengths and to outsource the rest. I think that is really good advice. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think that bookkeeping is really hard it's if you don't acknowledge (laughs) how hard it actually is I think you're making a huge mistake and so unless you are a CPA and you know how to bookkeep like with the best of them you're going to get yourself in trouble by trying to do it yourself and you're going to have these crazy tax bills that you didn't expect like yeah I I truly believe that like it's like that people think they can do themselves that is actually far more complicated. Um, So I think that like, even if you're spending a couple thousand dollars a month on an agency, rather than trying to do it yourself, it'll probably come back to you in spades in your tax return. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's really, um, there's so much to know there and it's such, so much work on a day-to-day basis that, um, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, obviously different companies are in different situations and, you know, different founders have different strengths. So, um, it's not a one size fits all approach, but just, be honest about what you figuring out what's important to your company right now and, and yeah. 
trying not to be perfect on everything, I'd say. Oh, such good advice. That's going to be the quote in our social after, I can already tell you. Um, and so we, we're coming up on time and we want to make sure that we wrap on time. Um, so that brings us to our final question. We ask every guest the same thing. And I'm curious, Emma and I obviously think that you and Felix get it. Who do you think gets it? I mean, I think that, um, I think you guys get it, but on top of that, Aww, um, you. <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, so hard, you know, you, you, I knew this was coming and I was still struggling, <laughs> but, um, I really think that our, 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 medical director, Kelly gets it. She, you know, coming from the traditional healthcare system has, has, you know, seen what Kyle and I were trying to do and really, really understood um, the ends and out of it. And she really understands her patients and having someone like that on the team is just, it's, it's a game changer for an organization like ours. Um, and it, it's been truly, truly important for us. Um, and she just totally gets it. And she also totally gets like how the human body works and it's pretty impressive. <laughs> that is, I, I mean, shout out to her. I, I think she gets it too, by your description for sure. Um, so yeah, Emma, thank you so much for coming on. This conversation flew by. I didn't even realize we're almost at time because I was so interested and had so many more questions. So maybe we'll have to do a part two in the future, but <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you and, uh, keep making great episodes. I'm, I'm loving them. Oh, I just learned so much from Emma. That was such a good episode. I think the biggest thing for me is seeing kind of the power that your network has. I mean, Emma and I, we talk about this all the time, how being a good entrepreneur is definitely individual skills, but it's also knowing who to bring in at what points. And when Emma was talking about this guy they brought on who was really good at systems thinking, and that was exactly what they needed early on in their business, I just think that is such a powerful component to building a good business early on is having the right people in the right roles, even if they're not there forever, knowing who to call in to solve problems for you is massive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, building a strong network is, it can be such a make or break and it can just make things a lot, you know, easier in a lot of ways when, like she said, you just know the right person to help you out. It's so cool. And I think Another big takeaway for me, it definitely reminded me of my own career path, is if you can get into a company that you really believe in, and if you can find a way to work with the leaders in that company, it can absolutely change the trajectory of your career, whether that's a shift into entrepreneurship, whether you want to stay in the corporate space and you know work your way up. Um, it's, oh my gosh, if you can find an opportunity to work with leaders that inspire you, you will always be better for it. It will always speed things up no matter where you're at in your journey. So I think it was really cool to hear, you know, Emma's background and her path um, and where she's at now. It's super inspiring. It really was. Yeah, that was such a great interview. And I think this is also a testament to the fact that, you know, your and my obsession with D2C e-commerce is one small piece of the broader picture. There are so many amazing business models and amazing entrepreneurs out there. And Felix is a great example. It sure is. Absolutely. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about this space, just like we did. Um, be sure to check us out on Instagram. They.get.it is our username. We share lots of content there and we love connecting with you all. So check us out there if you haven't already and have a wonderful week. We will see you next week. See you then.